I was always looking for a format. I was like, what is the format? You know, what is going to get continual results? Now, after doing that for three years, I really think that it, it's always changing. So I like, I really think that. So I think you have to constantly be updating what you're doing. Jade from Open Atom is one of the rising voices of a new generation of tech educators. With over 250,000 subscribers and growing, I wondered how did a university degree in physics lead to a YouTube career? I am Alex, and this is Genesis. Let me start with my favorite question for these things. When you meet someone new and inevitably, the question about work comes up. How do you describe your job? I say I'm a YouTuber, and then they usually ask me, well, they usually assume that I'm a vlogger. And then um, I correct them and say I make science educational videos. I guess I use the word edutainment, which people can, you know, figure out what it means from context. So yeah, I just say I make YouTube videos about science. Interestingly enough, you're the first person I have interviewed that has directly responded with that by saying I'm a YouTuber. Most people just try to avoid that word. What by do they means. say? That is video producer, uh, filmmaker, journalist. It's You're the first one to, uh, to attack that directly, which I find pretty Why do they do that? I don't get it. I think it's cool. <laughs> we're 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 off to a very interesting start. We're gonna we're gonna dig into that eventually. Don't you worry. Let's go to the very beginning. Uh, where were you born? Oh, um, Sydney, Australia. As a, as a kid, were you interested in science right away, or was that? Is there a point in your memory where you started feeling interested for these things, or was this always there? Okay, so the story of how I got into science is pretty random. So when I was a kid, I was not interested in science at all. And when I was in high school, um, we had like, you know, we took science class. My friend was in the lower science class. So I like purposefully failed the test so that I could be in the lower class with my friend. Like that's how little I cared about science. As soon as I could, I dropped science and I did more music, art and um, religious studies, English. Uh, and I did math, but, you know, it was mostly like art kind of thing. When I run into my past teachers now and they ask what I'm doing and I say like, well, I have a physics channel, they're so surprised. They're like, what? But you were, you were doing art and stuff. And I was like, I know it's crazy, right? So basically I wanted to be a primary school teacher and I went to university for a semester for that, but I found it really boring. So we, we went into the practical classes and I really, really, I wanted to do it because I really like kids. Like I think they're really fun and funny. And I kind of like that they're so raw, like they just say what's on their mind. And I really like that. It's very refreshing. But then when I actually got in the classroom, I realized that as a teacher, you're kind of molding them. You're kind of molding them into something that is is good and useful for society, but it's less, it's not what I liked about them. So I, I didn't really like that. And also you had to have a real passion for rules, which I didn't have. So I dropped out of that and then basically went on a three-year gap year where I traveled around Europe and lived in London and worked in a hostel. And then uh, when I came back, I was 20 and my mom's like, you've got to go to university. So I was like, okay. So I just randomly chose marine <laughs> biology because I didn't know what to do. I just had no idea what I wanted to do. I don't know why I chose marine biology because I never did science. But I think like one of my mom's friend's daughters did marine biology. And she was just like, Jade, why don't you do marine biology? And I, I just had no idea. And I was like, okay. So I enrolled in marine biology. 
And I liked it. I really liked biology. But then when um, in first year, we had to also do chemistry and physics, like just to get just to get up to scratch with all of science. And that is where I discovered physics when I was 20. So yeah, I got into it pretty late. That's fascinating. There are several things there. Like I find it very interesting that you didn't enjoy the part about teaching kids that actually feels like they remove their originality or like you're molding them into in, into something and you didn't you didn't like that removal of freedom, right? Yeah. It's fascinating to me because to a degree what you do now involves a lot of teaching. Yeah, I guess. It was just, well, first of all, um, in primary school, the subject matter isn't very challenging. So I did get a bit bored of the actual subject matter. Like in the six months that I did the um, university degree where I did the teaching uh, first semester, we had this art class where our assignment was to make a clay fish. We, as the like going to be teachers, were actually graded on how good the fish was. And I was like, what? Like, we're not the children. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think I was just like disillusioned by the whole university process because I was like, yeah, but we're not the kindergartners. Like, this isn't a method of teaching. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a feeling of what's going to be the answer to this. Uh, but what was the difference between how you were taught science as a child versus university that actually made the university level, like, click for you? Because at least for me, I, I went to university for engineering. I was okay at, uh, at math in school, but didn't quite enjoy it. But I enjoyed math and physics university because at least for me in school, it was like you didn't really get explained how things worked. It was more like memorization and don't really ask a lot of questions. Well, university level is like, let's understand what this model works. What's a model and what makes it thick? And that was like way more interesting to me. Was it something like that? That's really interesting that that was like that for you. But I think my answer is actually a lot more shallow. And it's just that in high school, science is, is harder than English and religion. So it's, you actually have to study for it. And I think like I just wanted to kind of breeze through. Like I wasn't super studious and I don't know, I, I took it easy and I was a really, really laid back student. So I think just the fact that science and especially physics were like had a hard reputation I was just like well I'm not really interested in those things and I don't want to exert myself when I could get good grades or like pass high school doing something easy and then when I was in university I didn't really have that anymore like I, I wanted to work hard you know like I I was like okay I am kind of interested in this subject and I can see that I have to work really hard but I don't mind like I feel like at that point I'd had my fun and I'd kind of matured and I was ready to just study and stuff like that so I think it was more more personal than um anything in the way that that it was actually taught. I don't I don't remember thinking in high school like, "Oh, I really want to understand this, but it's taught so bad." I just remember not having any interest in it, you know. Fascinating. What happened after university? What was what was your plan and what actually happened? Um, I guess I didn't have too much of a plan. So, during our final year, we we did have occasionally uh these kind of events where past students who were physicists or, you know, doctors or something like that would come and give talks about their work. And they, it was meant to kind of like inform us what we can do and inspire us to maybe do that. And I just, every time that happened, I just remember not really being interested in anything that anybody was doing or like not wanting to pursue that. And then I did a research internship in computational physics. And I don't know, I just, I really didn't like it. Like I didn't like the work. I didn't like the environment. 
And yeah, I just thought, well, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life, you know? So I think that's when I started uh, thinking about doing YouTube seriously because I, during my degree, because I was so behind, because I'd never done physics in high school, I had to do a lot of self-learning and I basically learned so much from YouTube. And it was my favorite place to learn, especially like stuff like Khan Academy, very tutorial type stuff. So different than what I'm doing now. But yeah, that was my absolute savior. So I was open to the idea to do YouTube. Like maybe if it didn't work out, maybe I would do something else. But I was kind of like very attracted to the idea of YouTube. (laughs) After the degree, I was like, yeah, I think I want to do YouTube. Wow. You discovered the educational side of YouTube while trying to find ways to understand your subject matter better. So you you approached YouTube originally as a student. Yes, yes. I never really understood why people watched. <laughs> I, I watch them now, but at the time I was like, well, I don't. why would I just watch cat videos? But yeah, I definitely approached it as a student. When, dude, in this part of your life, did the idea of participating in YouTube as a, as a teacher in that way uh, generated? Like, was this bouncing in your mind while you were in university or did this popped up into your mind after you graduated? It was definitely bouncing around at the time because at the time I had a tutoring job at the university where I kind of facilitated a class and I really enjoyed doing it because it was the class, it was the subject that initially got me into physics. So I kind of knew what the students were going through because the students who take that class uh, are doing a biology degree. So they were very, very fresh to physics. So I really enjoyed kind of helping them understand the way to think more like a physicist and stuff like that. So I think from teaching those classes, I realized I really like explaining physics to people that may not really get it right away. And also that I was quite good at it because I exactly was in that position. So from then on, when I started watching YouTube, I started thinking like, hey, I think I could do this. Or when I explained stuff to my friends and they found it really helpful, I was like, oh, yeah, like maybe I could have a channel where I explain stuff and that kind of thing. So it was bouncing around in my head during the degree, but I just I didn't have time to start one. But um, yeah. So you graduated, you didn't like uh, the immediate options that you could have in terms of what comes next. When did your channel start? 2016, after graduating, yeah. It was kind of during while I was doing that internship. What really solidified to me that I don't want to do the internship and I want to do YouTube was that every time I wasn't working on a video, I was upset. Like I wasn't like, (laughs) oh, I wasn't like, oh, this is fine. It's just my hobby. I was like, every time I was working on the internship, I was like, this could be time that I'm working on my channel. You know what I mean? And it was like making me really resentful. And I was like, yeah, I don't think it's meant to be like this. You know, like, I think I really want to give YouTube a go because it seems to be what I like. What channels inspired you to get, not only get where you are, but the sort of format that you do, people that you watch and be like, hmm, I wish I could copy that. Mm. So at first, I feel like I actually did too much of that. At first, I wasn't confident in my own abilities. So I looked at channels that I really liked. Like, so I was like Physics Girl, Veritasium, Vsauce, Braincraft. I think they were probably the main ones that inspired me, probably because they're close to what I do and they're the biggest in their, mm-hmm. in their field. And so I feel like I tried to copy them because I was like, well, this obviously works, you know, so I'll just do what they're doing. 
But so for one, obviously I couldn't do it as well as what they did because I was just starting. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, second of all, you can't copy someone's style. Like it won't work. It just, I've, I really learned that the hard way. Like after probably even years of trying to copy people, I was like, people can tell. People can tell when you've copied someone. If you're copying someone else's channel, there's no point for anyone to subscribe to your channel because your channel already exists if you're copying someone. So it's like, you're not bringing anything new. So I guess now I'd really love to make videos that captivate people as much as Vsauce. He's been a huge inspiration for me lately. But in terms of like copying, if anything, I'm really trying to find my own style. And I'm still, de I'm definitely still finding it. But now I'm like consciously trying to find it, you know? How did your first set of videos go? How were they received? Um, well, I mean, they didn't really get a lot of views. So I, I didn't really know where to start. This is going to sound super lame, but like this one time I, I read this quote and it said, if you don't know where to start, start anywhere. And that's really how I live a lot of my life. I feel like I want to do something. I have no idea where to start. I'm just going to start. I'm just going to just start. So I feel like that's what I did with the channel. And my first four videos were very tutorially. They were very like intro to electricity, um, how to calculate the charge of three different, you know, electrons and protons and that kind of thing. So that it wasn't what I do now. It was very much for like students and they were received. I mean, they were okay, but then I just thought this stuff is already out there. Like, I don't feel like I'm actually adding anything new. Maybe, maybe my way of explaining stuff will help some people, but I already think people like Khan Academy, like have just kind of absolutely nailed it. So I just thought, well, first of all, I don't feel like the channel's anything different or special. And I don't feel like I'm using or bringing what I could bring, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like, I guess being being kind of young and like having a kind of bubbly personality, I can do kind of more fun stuff rather than tutorial type stuff. When did you decide to start experimenting with more of, uh, on that then? Well, so the, the first four videos I did, one of them was introduction to electricity and the other three were like figuring out problems. And when I shared them with all my friends, the one that got the most views and feedback was the introduction to electricity one. And I was like, okay, that's like the least tutorially one. So <laughs> I think from there I was like, okay, well, it makes sense that I go with the one that did the best, you know? So it kind of started after the, after those four videos, when I saw that which one did best, I was like, okay, I'm going to make more videos like that. Okay. Yeah. So pretty early. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You, you had a very, very clear, very structured idea <laughs> of how to, to seek for a format. I'm actually, I think that's a fantastic approach to things, honestly. Before I started the channel, I watched a lot of those, like how to start a YouTube channel channels, you know, the ones. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. And they said when you upload, you should upload in a batch. They actually said six, but I just got so impatient by four that I was just like, no, four. And so, so I, I totally followed their advice. Right. Yeah. But you, you were seeking for a format and the format started uh, coming together. At what point did that format st uh, started to stick? At what point did you started seeing some people come in and be like, okay, this is, this is kind of working better. I still don't feel like my format's stuck. I feel like after every single video, I'm like, what worked? What didn't work? Why did this video work better than a different video? Why did this video not work as well as a different video? So I feel like I'm constantly changing and playing with the format to see what produces the best result. I think that's kind of good. So before I was always looking for a format, I was like, what is the format? You know, what is going to get continual results? Now, after doing that for three years, I really think that it, it's always changing. 
So I like I really think that. So I think you have to constantly be updating what you're doing. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And in fact, you can notice that even in your modern videos that they keep improving. You you keep refining what you're trying to do, which is like a no- normal process for any creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but always searing on something, always like closing in on something that is more true to the way you communicate. Has your growth been a very slow, gradual thing? Or has it had like spikes of growth during certain events or certain videos? Yeah, definitely spikes. So I would say, so the first spike was probably when I did a collaboration with Physics Girl. The second spike was when I did the Schrodinger equation. It's still my best performing video. And since I did that video, I was like, okay, yeah, so that seems to be what people like, what works, because it it blew up way more than all my other videos before it. So I was like, okay, quantum physics, like people seem to like quantum physics. And then um, I made a bunch of quantum physics videos and they did pretty average. They didn't do that well. So that was where I was kind of like coming back to how I was always kind of searching for this format and this answer. It's kind of like, I don't know what it was about. The, like it was something else about the Schrodinger equation. You know, it's never just one thing or two things. It's it's a variety of things and it's so hard to pin down. How did that collaboration with Physics Girl came to be? How did you you find her? How did you communicate with her? Because that that's a that's a fascinating opportunity to to participate on. Yeah, it was awesome. So it was simple. I met her at VidCon. So um, I was friends with her editor, Jabril, who is also a, a very big and good channel. And um, he introduced me to her. And then after, and we just, we talked a bit, but you know, it was VidCon, so everybody was everywhere. And then um, when I got back, I think I waited about six months till I had a really good idea. So I tried to get, I tried to get a video idea that it made sense that it was a collaboration and it made sense that it was with someone who's in a totally different city. So I did this idea of um, cryptography. So like I was trying to send a message to her and she needed to decode it. And yeah, and so she liked the idea and we just went from there. Hey y'all, I'm Diana, you're watching Physics Girl, and I want to tell you about a well-known problem in the field of quantum cryptography. The problem is basically flipping a coin over the phone, but let's see why that might cause problems. It was actually really cool because she was like, most of the time before that, when I tried to do collaborations with people, they were like, oh yeah, maybe in a few months, you know, I'll see, I'll see how it is. But she was just like, how's three weeks from now? And I was like, okay. And so it was all, it was all very effortless <laughs> and streamlined. It was w- wonderful. It was m- much better than when people approach me asking for a collaboration. <laughs> with me i'm like oh i don't right. know i don't know what my schedule is and yeah maybe we'll do it next month but then I, they won't hear from me for like six weeks or something <laughs> <laughs> taking it back a little bit again because you mentioned that you met her in vidcon okay so th- there's a story there like when did you decide oh, okay th- there's this thing called vidcon and i want to go like because i remember for example the first time i went to a vidcon and how that, how I capture a lot of the energy of that place and how it convinced me that I had to go out there and start talking to more people in these events. And that ended up being very transformative. So was this, when did you first hear about VidCon? Why did you decide to go? Was this VidCon Europe or VidCon US? I have so many questions. <laughs> um, it was VidCon US. And I was quite lucky because at the time I was living in Pittsburgh in the US because my husband got a job at um, the Carnegie Mellon University. So I wasn't that far away. I wasn't in Australia. And then when I heard about VidCon, I, I mean, I knew what it was. And I was part of this group called We Create EDU. Are you part of that group? No, no, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yes. 
So there's a there was a group of educational um, YouTube creators called We Create Edu that I was a part of, and they were all talking about it. So I'd kind of made some like online educational YouTube friends. So I knew that there would be people there that I knew.、Um, So I wasn't really scared about going because I was like, well, I'll know some people. It's not like I'll just be by myself. So I went, and it was great. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was everything that I thought it would be. It was like making friends, doing fun stuff, learning a lot at the panels. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Then you had the spike for the Schrodinger equation, which led to you trying to see if you could nail down something similar and like not quite seeing it and. Uh, what was the next spike in growth after that?、Uh, oh, the next spike was guest appearance on Tom Scott's channel. Oh wow! So, like once a year, he takes a holiday and he picks four educational、uh, YouTubers to feature on his channel, and、um, it's m- meant to like help out smaller channels, which it totally does. So, yeah, I featured on his channel, and that was the second spike, I would say. How how did that came to be? Did did he reach reach out to you? Did you apply? How how did that? Did that work? The first time I ever applied, I got rejected, and then the second time,、um, I wasn't going. I, I didn't really hear about it. I wasn't keeping up with it. I wasn't checking the Slack or anything like that. And then I was talking to one of my、um, other other YouTube friends, and he brought it up, and he said that he was going to apply. And I was like, "Oh yeah, cool, sounds good." And he was like, "Oh, you should apply." I had to apply really <laughs> soon, like in a few days, and I hadn't had. It, I didn't have anything prepared. So I was like, well, whatever. It probably takes like five minutes just to fill out the application. I'll just, I'll just think of any random idea. So I filled it out and I put my idea, and then I and then I got it, and then and it was sad because my my friend didn't. So that was a bit.、Uh, yeah, I didn't really know how to tell him. <laughs> yeah, I really wasn't expecting anything. And when he said like, yeah, let's do this idea, I was like. Oh,、uh, okay, cool. This week's guest video was pitched to me as a puzzle, and I couldn't solve it. So please welcome physicist Jade Tan Holmes, who's going to show you the same puzzle and then solve it with maths. At what moment did the process of this process of slowly getting spikes started transforming into a core audience, or that that will like come back, and that you started seeing a more natural growth? And I ask this because, like, for for context, especially for people listening, when I originally met you, you had. Sixty thousand, seventy thousand subscribers,、mm. and then I remember that I blinked. I look a year later, and it was like a hundred and fifty. And I'm like, what? And I looked away. I looked back again, and now it's like two hundred and thirty. And it's like, what the heck? So something happened there, I imagine. Sometimes I get so disillusioned because you know we're always surrounded by people that I feel like grow so fast and have like one and two million subscribers that I'm just like. I don't know. I don't even. Sometimes I don't even know if that's good. I just feel like it's normal. Or <laughs> yeah, th- that's that's. I think it's an interesting thing to explore. That when you work in isolation, it's very difficult to have correct metrics on what is actually working or not because you don't have context. But also, when you have a network, a very large network of friends that do something similar that you do, then it can you can have the completely. Different problem, which is if you have someone in a completely different niche that is bigger than yours, then you you think your numbers are bad when in fact you're actually pretty good. When did you started getting a, a, at least an idea that there was a core audience that was coming back and seeing some natural growth beyond those spikes? I'm trying to answer my personal question of what the heck happened when I looked away and you grew so much. Okay, so first there was the Tom Scott thing. 
Then mm-hmm. I then it was very lucky because right after the Tom Scott thing, I got another spike with this video called Russell's Paradox. Oh yeah. And then so that did really well, and I was like, okay, so maybe I'm maybe people like paradoxes. I'll try it. <laughs> so, because I, I'll try do some paradoxes, and I did. So I did some paradoxes for a while, and then um they did pretty well, and then I think I kind of like. There just there aren't that many paradoxes, you know, especially not in um, science that haven't been done. So I was like, well, I can't just always be doing paradoxes. And then I had an existential crisis and I didn't <laughs> create for a while, like maybe four months or something. And ever since then, it's been a bit a bit harder. Like my views haven't been as high as that. I'll call it the paradox period. I feel like in the paradox period, I was growing pretty steadily. I was releasing one video a month. I kind of, you know, I, I hired an animator. I kind of figured out a bit how to run this thing. So basically when I hit a hundred thousand subscribers, I was kind of like, I feel like for a long time, I lost sight of what my goal was. I lost sight of why I started the channel and everything became about numbers and like I don't know, everything just became about growth. And then when I hit 100,000 subscribers, I guess I expected to feel something and I didn't really. I just felt like, okay, well, like that was the goal that I was trying to hit and now I've hit it. And then I kind of had to rethink my whole life, like what I was doing, why I was doing it. So that was kind of where those three, four months went. And then when I came back, because I'd lost momentum, it was a bit harder to get the views coming back. And I feel like for a while I went very esoteric, like I went into very specific things like here's this video, how birds might navigate using quantum mechanics, for example, like it's very, very specific. And that wasn't really working for me. Lately, I've started doing more general stuff. And um, I've actually, I actually got another spike quite recently with this Aristotle's wheel paradox, which I think was when you blinked and I went from 170,000 to like 230,000. And now I'm trying to be like, okay, well, I'm trying to make videos more like that one. So did you ever find or do do you feel that you find some part of the answer as to why you do this that is not numbers? Because I think that's a very interesting topic that a lot of creators go through. Yeah, I definitely did. Okay, so for a few reasons. So I want to understand the universe. And that's just, I, I just... Yeah, I want to understand reality. I want to know it deeply. I love learning about science and um, physics and philosophy. And I think this is a very good way that I can do that for my life and still kind of be a normal functioning member of society and make a living and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people also want those answers. But like when I was um, in university, they don't have confidence to do it themselves or they don't know where to start or they don't have the resources or whatever. So I think what I'm going through, a lot of people are going through, and I can I can see that from the comments. You know, people want to understand. It's just sometimes it's really hard. I know why I'm doing it now. So even on those times where it's hard, or like when your video doesn't get as many views, it's like, well, the people that did see it, I I'm pretty sure you know they got something out of it. So it it becomes less about numbers and more about and more about like the nice things in the comments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For some of the topics that you're picking, are this things that you wanted like to find the answer yourself and understand yourself and then explain to others? Yeah, definitely. This video, An Argument Against Reality, Why You Can't Trust Your Senses, was because I wanted to know how much of what we observe in the world we can actually trust, like how much of our own reasoning is real and can we trust kind of thing. And that was something I never thought about before. But I feel like it's very, very important because, you know, 
your senses uh, are your window to the world. And if you don't really understand if they're accurate or not, I mean, it's a big deal, you know. Also, a video I'm working on right now, um, called for actually for Nebula, calls Is Math Invented or Discovered? I'm getting really into. But yeah, so basically when I get super obsessed with a topic, everything else flies out the window and I, I can do nothing but think about that topic. Right. So so you went from creating the channel and having like a, a taste for, for having an audience or, or having people watch what you do, chasing that that high of of the numbers and trying to grow that audience to realizing that that doesn't really satisfy you and then going back to I'm going to make videos of questions that I legitimately want to explore yeah that is a fascinating creator journey it's nice it's so much better you know it's so much nicer not being obsessed with numbers anybody will tell you that and I'm sure you've experienced it as well yes it's a very common thing it's just that it's not it's not commonly spoken about really I feel like this is something everybody would talk about okay it's something that I don't feel a lot of people are exploring in this sort of format in this sort of like retrospective YouTube journey sort of because it's it's easy it's easy to package these things as narratives are always going up and then the downs are usually due to external circumstances rather than having a an existential crisis over the meaning of what one does because it's easier to confront i think something that comes externally and damages your work versus something that comes from within right and and in that vein, do you do you now feel that you're more satisfied with the work that you're doing? Yes, definitely. Now it's like I'm satisfied with the video before I publish it. So before it was kind of like I would only be satisfied with the video if it did well, which, well, I mean, you know, you're, it, not every video is going to do well and not everyone's going to like your stuff. But now before I publish a video, I'll be like, okay, well, I really tried my best on this video. This is what I'm trying to achieve with this video. And I did my best to try and achieve that. That, And that's all you can do. Like, for example, my last video didn't get a ton of views or it didn't get the same. It wasn't as big as the one before it. But it's kind of like, well, I think that it had a good message and I think I did it the best I could. And that's all you can really do, you know? It was also only five days ago, so it's too early. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you can tell on the thing like two out of ten and stuff. Oh, that <laughs> thing. I hate that thing so much. That thing. One thing that I have learned, especially during the last two months, is that I, three or four times now, I have had videos that are like eight out of 10, nine out of 10, everything red, everything's on fire, you're going to die. And I go like, oh, shoot. And then I, I check two months later, and then the video did double the views that I expected. And it's like, what? So so I'm, I'm trusting like first week uh, numbers less than ever. Really? <laughs> I okay. I don't think they're very representative. I should take that advice. But also your cha your channel's very search friendly, isn't it? You're very good with the search stuff. Yeah, but but even on stuff that isn't that that shouldn't be search friendly, I'm I'm still getting those uh long-term tales. So so now I'm very being a little bit more careful of measuring not only just the first week or the first two weeks but also coming back to stuff a month ago and seeing what's alive and what's still accumulating views consistently. Yeah. And I think that is something more creators in general should do. Mm -hmm. Not that it's a problem, but the lure of wanting to analyze straight away is because it makes you feel in control because then it's like, okay, 
in the first week, this video didn't do that good. That means that I did this wrong and this is how I can correct it. And then you try and implement that into your next video. But if you have to wait a few videos and then you check back in two months, it's kind of like, you know, you can't take immediate action, which is very, it goes against human instinct. Like, I feel like you have to be a very patient and mature person to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to wait to act, you know? Yeah, you have to be fighting your instinct every step of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> ah, the struggles. <laughs> On that note, what do you feel comes next for for your channel? Any any what, what ideas are bouncing in your head that you are planning to explore in the future? I don't know. What what do other people say? I don't like for this question. <laughs> I don't really know. Well, I mean, there are people who want to branch out and try to do movies. There are people who want to focus more on their podcast. Everyone has like a, a thing that they're more excited about looking towards to the future. More excited about than their channel? Or a part of the channel or a specific series of the channel or in a specific direction that they're more interested on. Uh, I'm pretty happy just doing this. and <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it is. I feel like a lot of the time if someone says to me, you know, oh, you can, if I've done something, they're like, oh, you can write that on your CV or that will open doors for you. And I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is a dream to me. I get to research what I want all day. I love making videos. I love the subject matter. I don't, I don't want to change anything. All I want to do is keep doing this. So, yeah, I don't know. Not a very exciting answer, but. No, but it's a very good answer. I, I, I think that's a very internally satisfying answer. Yeah. I don't know. This is, to me, I, I really feel like I'm living my dream. Like, you know, you know, when they say um, your career or whatever, or if money wasn't an issue, what would you do all day? I really, I really would just do this. <laughs> You're in the best, best position of all. That's kind of what gets me through all the hard times, you know, because YouTube, it can be very mentally hard. Um, and even, you know, even uncertain and financially uncertain and stuff. But it's still like, well, the, I don't really have a choice because there's nothing else I'd want to do. So, you know. Absolutely. The Inquisitive Fellowship selects educational creators and offers them resources to help them worry less about monetization and the algorithm and more about making the kind of content they want to make and that the world needs. So we were talking about how Vsauce is an inspiration to you earlier. You recently became one of the first Vsauce Fellowship recipients. How did that make you feel? It did feel really good. It felt validating because that was actually, while well, actually, I guess I had two breakdowns. So I <laughs> said so it was the first existential crisis. And then I had another breakdown for ages. I'd asked people with successful channels, channels that were bigger than me, how, you know, what's a piece of advice that you would give? And literally all of them said a schedule. They were like, get a schedule. And I was like, okay, okay. So, and I find it really, really hot. You know how I am with schedules. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm terrible with schedules, but the, the advice just seemed to be do a schedule. So I tried to have a schedule of two videos a month and I was pretty loose with myself. I was like, okay, I'm just going to start with two videos a month. I'm not going to have like a date that I have to have them that will come later. For now, I just want to get two videos a month. I struggled so hard to get to that, but then I actually did. I actually managed to get to two videos a month, but my channel was performing so <laughs> poorly. That I was like, okay, so the videos are obviously crap because I'm not spending as much time on them. I don't know. I just felt, I just felt like something was wrong. I'm like, why can't I do schedules when everyone else can, you know? And I guess the thing with the Vsauce Fellowship, what well, it was during that time while I was really struggling with that, 
and uh, we we've talked, you know, we talked on the phone a bit and stuff like that. And basically, the point of the fellowship is for creators that take a, a long time to make content and that can't really do schedules. And he and on the phone, he was like, "Yeah, I don't do a schedule. A lot of the big YouTubers don't do schedules. Like, don't worry about schedules." And I was like what? You don't have to worry about schedules? And like, I feel since then, everything has just gotten better. Like my channel is performing better. My videos are better. So I feel like it was really good to get the fellowship because it was validating that the way I worked was okay. You know, it's like, I wasn't always fighting the way that I worked. Yeah. Just to have someone like him, like appreciate my channel was very, very nice. If someone that finds your channel an inspiration for something they want to do, approaches you and makes you exactly the same question. Hey, any advice you could give me? Now, what you will communicate to them? That, that what will be your answer as a bigger creator? Yeah, my answer would be don't listen to advice too closely. Like, and I know that that doesn't, <laughs> I, that might not help that much, but I guess the bigger message is just figure yourself out, like figure out how you work and don't fight it, like embrace it because it's, it's what's going to make you different. So the reason that that I can make videos about these huge topics and Vsauce can as well and that Veritasium can do these awesome um, demonstrations that take weeks or months to prepare is because they don't have a schedule. And it's like, I'm not saying don't have a schedule, but I'm just saying if you really try something and it doesn't work, it's fine. Like just don't fight it and try and find your own style because and when you find it, lean into it because it's what's going to make you special. Yeah, contextualize advice to your circumstances. Exactly. I don't know. I feel Fantastic. like I just dealt. I felt with. I dealt with that for so long, and I think it really held me back for a long time. Like I mean, like years. <laughs> it's important to know what doesn't work. Almost as important as knowing what actually works. But what about what about you, Alex? What advice would you give? Um. Oh God, where to start? <laughs> Understand what is the value that you want to provide, and who is the value that you want to provide it to. Always keep a close eye on who is the core audience that you want to reach and always keep that in mind as you create every part of your video from titles to thumbnails to the format itself. And pay more attention to titles and thumbnails, kids, please. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But that is really good advice. Always keep the audience in mind because I feel like that's mm -hmm. quite a hard thing to do when everything is online. And like the only interaction you really get is comments. It's not like you're talking to a room of people with a specific demographic. It's like for us to know our demographic, we have to go into our analytics or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Going back to the point that we discussed before about how it's like difficult to contextualize numbers and how you can think that you're failing when you're actually not, mm. is that YouTube is very efficient at hiding things. Have you ever looked at a picture of 100,000 people in one place? I remember there's a huge stadium here in Barcelona, a football stadium, evidently. And I remember looking up what's the full capacity because I have been on that stadium when it's full capacity. Probably people who, who have heard of Barcelona are familiar with holds 99,354 people. If I get that amount of views in a video is like, ah, it, it performed okay. Or some people like, even if their channel is stuck on 99,000 and they're like, oh, I want to get to 100,000. But 100,000 isn't really like a very big channel. I think back to seeing that stadium fill with people and, and realize that's a lot of people. So so the numbers, the numbers can really very, very easily 
hide the true extent of what you're doing, I think that that hurts a lot because you 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 hide be- behind statistics when you think of it as, as actual people that you're reaching, that they're actually create not not only just enjoying it but internalizing in some way. Um, then it becomes so much better. And also, we should all internalize this. Bigger numbers doesn't just equal bigger success, not even economic sometimes. So we should all try to reach the place where you are right now, where you're just satisfied with the things you're making and the audience responds to that. And the only audience worth having is a niche audience, as I have heard many times. So, And have you found that that stadium visualization helps you when you feel like a video didn't do as well as what you wanted or something? Yes. It, I, I'm not perfect. It, it slips my mind sometimes, but uh, I try, I should get like a picture or something, but I, I try to keep it in mind when those moments reach. And it, it has helped a lot. Yeah, because that is a really good piece of advice. And I think the main reason why we don't like humans tend not to do that is because we think of things relatively. So it's like, even if 100,000 is a huge number in in terms of YouTube, it's not a huge, like it's not, you know, it's their channels with a million and two million. And it's kind of like you you forget the actual number and you ju- you just think comparatively. And if I may add something, because I think uh, thinking back to your existential crisis, when you reach 100,000, there's like, well, where's the fireworks? Yeah. The amount of creators that I have met that just chase a milestone, thinking that there's going to be fireworks, and then when it doesn't happen, they just chase the next one, has led me to believe that the fireworks don't exist, that that, that it's sort of a, a, a mirage that everyone's chasing, so... I think the the best satisfaction that we can have is enjoying the type of content that we're making, uh, finding a way of making it sustainable, and then having a really good relationship with your core audience. I think I I think that's a key to success in any creative platform. I think they're very wise words, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I learn a, a big part now talking to you. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for for recording with me. This has been a fantastic story. It was great. Thank you for asking me. 